Welcome everyone to the second pod in our third wheel series, where myself and fellow Australian partner Tim Stutt invite an expert third wheel guest to explore the topical environment, social and governance issues of the day from our unique perspectives. Hi Tim, how are you today? Good, thanks Mel. Now, I am tempted um, to dive into a discussion of all things climate related at the moment because the landscape is really dynamic in Australia, um, not just from a regulatory perspective, which of course is um, is my particular area of interest, but there's a lot of litigation on foot and the political dimension is really interesting. Um, I, for one, am anxiously awaiting to hear about the Morrison government's plan pre-Glasgow. What do you reckon, Tim? Are we going to get a net zero commitment out of the current Australian government? I am optimistic, uh, but have been um, left waiting on previous occasions, so, so not wholly optimistic. I, I think net zero by 2050, we will get the commitment by 2050, <laughs> is my prediction. But but I think pressure is building, so uh, I, I, I can see a path, hopefully. I like your optimism. Um, fingers crossed for some exciting pre-COP26 announcements. Now, for anyone listening for the first time, um, before we head into the, the topic of this podcast, I do invite you to head back to episode one, where our inaugural expert third wheel and HSF CEO, Justin D'Agostino, shared what he's seeing from a multi-jurisdictional and cross-sector perspective. It was a really great discussion that we had. Um, we touched on themes along the lines of um, climate change and some of the things we've just discussed now, Tim, but also the urgency that I think we're all feeling um, in respect of ESG issues. So I really do encourage you to take a listen, um, which is a nice segue um, into the discussion that we're going to have today. Um, we're going to come to the centre today and spend some time focused on the S of ESG and the really important topic of human rights. And Tim and I are delighted to welcome Anthony Crockett, a partner in our Hong Kong office who specialises in public international law and complex cross-border dispute resolution. Anthony leads our global business and human rights practice and is a member of the firm's ESG leadership group. Um, and a fun fact, or maybe not so fun fact about Anthony, is that he's a tri-qualified lawyer in Australia, England and Wales and Hong Kong. So I think a perfect third wheel guest for us today. Welcome, Anthony. Hi, Mel. Hi, Tim. Anthony, we, we like to start off these sessions by um, getting our guests' personal take on what ESG means to them. So with that in mind, please give us a bit of a download on why ESG is important to you and what it means to you. Sure. I guess I'd think about my... the significant part of my day job is leading our global business and human rights practice and therefore most of my ESG related work is in that particular particular area. What is that? Um, advising clients on human rights due diligence, resolving disputes and, and grievances. And that work is incredibly interesting and allows me to indulge my nerdy passion for public international law. But also you know, 
practically that's about how to avoid adverse human rights impacts and that's very important for humans but it's also very important for ensuring the success of a business venture um, and and the same goes for any other ESG factor and so you know I, to, to me it's it's an area where you know you can you see the impact of your work both in terms of avoiding um, risks for the environment for for, for for humans from a governance perspective and then you can see the impact that has on the success of a client's business. Thanks for sharing that observation, Anthony. And, um, you know, Tim and I both know the passion that you bring to this subject area. Um, You were speaking about human rights due diligence being a part of your day-to-day work. And I know you've been closely following proposals in Europe to introduce mandatory ESG due diligence requirements on the EU. Can you share with us where those proposals are up to? Yeah, so in the middle of 2020, the European Commissioner for Justice announced that the European Commission would introduce legislation this year, which would make ESG due diligence mandatory across the EU. So what does that mean? I think it's useful to sort of briefly define what ESG due diligence means in that in that context. And I mentioned my work in terms of human rights due diligence and that's a now a recognized process described in international standards like the UN guiding principles on business and human rights and it is a process where businesses um, identify prevent mitigate and account for their actual and potential adverse human rights impacts that that they may cause directly through their operations or which they might contribute or be linked to most obviously in supply chains. And I think important to recognise that what it describes is a process um, which encompasses not only the risk assessment, which is what as lawyers we might often think about as when we're talking about due diligence, but also then the actions that you take in response to that risk assessment. What actions do you take to avoid the relevant risks, to avoid the adverse impacts on human rights? And then that concept of human rights due diligence has now been implemented quite widely by companies across the world. It's referenced in a whole range of international standards in regulatory guidance. But importantly, that sort of adoption of that process as a matter of business practice, it's been largely voluntary. And the UN guiding principles on business and human rights, which were um, endorsed in the Human Rights Council in 2011, there's been this um, call for that process to be made mandatory. And of course, there's been a proliferation of reporting requirements, which lots of listeners will be familiar with, like the Australian and UK Modern Slavery Acts. And those that guidance for, for reporting under those that legislation, for example, recommends carrying out human rights due diligence. Um, and equally, reporting requirements on stock exchanges, et cetera, reference the UN guiding principles or the OECD guidelines in the same way. So fast forward then, you know, almost a decade of, of, of voluntary implementation of that process. And then in 2017, France was the first country to go beyond that approach of just having reporting obligations and to make due diligence, the due diligence mandatory. 
And when France did that, it said, not only do you have to do due diligence on human rights, but you should also do, do due diligence in relation to environmental risks, in relation to health and safety. So it expanded the scope of, of the process as well. And so the European Commission's essentially proposed a similar law to be adopted on an EU-wide basis. And we don't have a legislative text yet, although there was a, a draft prepared in the European Parliament, and um, but we're still waiting to see exactly what the Commission will propose because only the European Commission can um, initiate legislation. So I understand um, there's a, a draft from the Legal Affairs Committee. Um, does that give us any indication of what the law might look like in this space? There's no guarantee, but I, I think that draft was unanimously endorsed or approved in a, in a vote in the European Parliament. So you can see that there's some political support for what was set out in that draft. And it, it, it's very ambitious. Um, some of the things it includes, I mean, I think first from a legal perspective, it would be a directive, which means as a matter of EU law, individual member states would have to introduce their own legislation to give it effect. But then, you know, more importantly, who would it apply to and what would it require? It would, would apply to all businesses incorporated or domiciled in the EU, but also foreign businesses selling goods or services into the EU. So very broad in terms of the scope. The due diligence obligation would be to identify and assess on an ongoing basis whether um, an enterprise's operations contribute to any human rights, environmental or governance risks an obligation to publish the risk assessments and to establish a due diligence strategy for any identified risks, obligations to ensure that business partners are doing the right thing. So with contractual provisions, with verification, um, obligations to consult stakeholders and penalties for um, non-compliance. Sounds like quite a lot packed into the draft directive. Anthony, you mentioned that many companies already do human rights due diligence and, and do aspects of this ESG due diligence. From your work with clients, do you have any practical tips in this area? I can think of three. and The first would be, and you think about ESG covers a huge array of topics. Um, and equally, just thinking about human rights, you, you, there's there, there are dozens of internationally recognised human rights. And, and so you've got to think about the scope of the exercise. You, you can't do everything. And so it's important to um, think about how to identify your more material risks and to prioritise due diligence in those risks. And that might be, for example, prioritising the higher risk parts of your supply chain. And that might be by reference to the products or the geographies. Um, or prioritising with your own business parts of your operations which present a higher risk because of where they're located or the environmental footprint, for example. The second thing I think that's important and which I, I know um, a lot of clients finding one of their current challenges getting to grips with all of this is having the right expertise. And so um, across that huge breadth of ESG topics, making sure you have the right technical expertise. Now, that includes often legal expertise. So certainly from a human rights due diligence perspective, you need to look at local and international laws. But you shouldn't have 
use an exclusively legal lens. So I mentioned in the EU draft, and this is anyway part of the human rights due diligence process that the UN has endorsed that, you know, this concept of stakeholder consultation and lawyers are not necessarily the best people to do that. And, you know, having that expertise in terms of how you consult meaningfully and effectively with stakeholders is another example. And then the third thing I think I would say, and we've we've discussed how, um, you know, your due diligence on ESG topics informs your reporting. Um, what we see in reporting often is, is um, you know, and, and it's completely understandable, companies want to say um, that, that they're doing a good job on this, um, but you also see some very ambitious and sometimes aspirational statements. And I think it's, you know, very important not to overpromise and to acknowledge you know, the limits of your due diligence and the limits of your processes um, as far as both your ability to identify risks, but also your ability to control um, those risks. That's good advice about under-promising and over-delivering, I think, <laughs> not just for human rights um, aspects. I think it can get quite hard in the context of stakeholder engagement and communications, though, in particular. Thanks for that, Anthony. For those of you who tuned into edition one, you you might have noticed that Mel and I set ourselves the goal of finishing each of these podcasts on a fun or quirky fact. But in true lawyer style, we're at addition to and already going to qualify that previous commitment. Having regard to this week's topic and third wheel, we thought it might actually be a good chance to go rogue and have a myth-busting item instead. And specifically, we thought we might bust the myth that the Modern Slavery Act creates slavery offences or requires due diligence on the part of companies. I think it's pretty common to see references to compliance with the Modern Slavery Act written into commercial contracts. But what's not always appreciated is the fact that the Act is a reporting obligation only. While it does require reporting in relation to risks and, and talking about what a company does in relation to those, it is a reporting obligation. It's actually the Commonwealth Criminal Code that creates slavery offences. The Modern Slavery Act just creates the reporting in relation to risk exposures and actions taken, as I mentioned. So next time you're reviewing a commercial contract and see compliance with the Modern Slavery Act in there, perhaps give some thought to adding the Commonwealth Criminal Code into that as well. Thanks for listening to our podcast. For the next edition, we're planning to continue on with this theme, diving from the EU proposal for mandatory ESG due diligence to some of the practical things we're seeing companies do in this space. Thanks for joining us. In the spirit of reconciliation, Herbert Smith Freehills acknowledges the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respect to their elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples today. You have been listening to a podcast brought to you by Herbert Smith Freehills. For more episodes, please go to our channel on iTunes or SoundCloud 
and visit our website herbertsmithfreehills.com for more insights relevant to your business.